0: This probably should have been my first message, but congratulations. I haven't actually spoken to you uh, since you became a dad again. So, congratulations on that. Uh, Now, I will listen to the rest of the episode.
1: that you should have called it in first so I'll go ahead and play it first thank you very much Uh, we're both very excited that is my wife and I uh, we are excited on paper Uh, little man has made it onto stream once Uh, so far he got in on the OSE game I was playing with some friends run by Jason Hobbs uh, and he only distracted me a little bit enough to get me petrified. So we're going to have a lot of fun in the future trying to find a 12th or better level magic user to unpetrify that character, or maybe I'll just re-roll. Because we are officially back on the Clerics Wear Ringmail podcast. Welcome, welcome, everybody. And that is how we roll. Hey, Taylor.
0: Daniel from Medits Keep calling in. Uh, thanks for the Dialogue with Daniel episode. Um... Lots of good points there. So yeah, I, I think that you're you're definitely taking a good approach, like kinda of trying to strip back from you know starting with the baseline of OD. I think that's with my unchained, I kind of went the opposite, right? I started with chainmail and I said, What can I make that's within this system only not using o D at all? But I think the reason why I was able to take that step was because I had already started the O D with Chainmail Hacks. So I already started the pulling apart OD part of it. <laughs> Um, as far as clerics are concerned, one thing that I, that I was doing as a house rule, um, which hasn't actually come into effect yet, nobody's used it, but I have this um, this idea that if clerics decide not to wear armor, so they are armored only in their faith, as I call it, um, they actually get some defensive bonuses based on the spells they have memorized. So effectively, I think believe it's one point of armor class per spell level that they have memorized. So if you are a cleric and you, you know... Uh, believe that you're, you know, you're essentially using your faith to protect yourself as opposed to casting the spells. As you cast the spells, you know, maybe <laughs> the gods like, I, I, I've given you enough today and your armor class gets worse. But so you you can kind of play a more um, no armored monk. I, I could see the Solomon Kane thing. I mean, I think he didn't wear armor, at least in the stuff that I read, mostly because of the time period it took place in. So, you know, that's, you know, he's like firearms and stuff, and I think if anything, maybe he might have wore a war chest plate. But I haven't read all of Solomon Kane so I can't really say one way or the other. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder why there's less. I think because a fighter is the most generic class, right? Almost every hero in anything can be seen as a fighter, unless they're very strictly a magic user.
1: Armored in your faith. I like that. It especially fits into the sword and sorcery kind of genre Your deity is only willing to pucker up so much, uh, to give you so much before you test their patience by uh, drawing more and more on their powers. To the Solomon Kane point, that is absolutely true. He is a semi-modern figure. It has been a very long time since I read Solomon Cain. I remember it's got the same sort of electric diction that draws you into the moment that all of Robert Howard does, but I'm I, i I'm more of a fantasy guy, uh, uh, medieval fantasy or sword and sandals, and Solomon Cain just didn't speak to me as much. So, of course, I enjoyed reading it, but I didn't... Uh, I didn't crave it. I didn't dive headfirst into it. And I enjoyed the Conan stuff, the Call stuff, and I've enjoyed Paul Anderson's uh, fantasy stuff a lot more. But, that's point I'm trying to make, that's a measure of taste, if, any, uh, if anything. Thinking about fighters, or fighting men, you're absolutely right. The majority of the heroes of a lot of the sword and sorcery type stories can be boiled down to fighting men, while some of them have thief-like characteristics. They all that they all have swords. That's that that's half of the battle. So sword and sorcery, fighting man and magic user. What a coincidence that I think on Discord the other day you were talking about uh, the fantasy trip, while not OSR in a strict sense, definitely falls directly into this kind of trope. I may see if I can find a clone or other freeway to look into that myself. Interesting thinking.
0: And I think those influences are pretty obvious, you know, your your Merlins and such. So I think that's the, the reason why there. Uh, you know, it's interesting too, I should point out, I mean, I, I'm the type of player and I play with the type of people that if they had an idea of playing more of a monk type cleric, they would just not wear armor and just take the penalty of having bad armor class. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't play with those people. Uh, Not like avoiding, but uh, that is not just not in that crowd.
0: I mean, you know, it is what it is. You play the character you want to play. So, but I do understand that people want to, uh, you know, obviously maximize and and, and do the, the right things, if you will, to make their character more survivable.
1: I don't know if I would call it maximizing. It is maximizing in a mechanical sense, but the motivation might not be that sort of munchkiny approach, and more playing to genre. So when I, when I play a barbarian, for example, I don't want to play a wimpy barbarian. The, the movies about barbarians don't have wimpy dudes. They have beefcake with big swords. So while it might be fun, to play a wimpy dude, uh, a sissy barbarian, so to speak, in a more casual environment, we'll put it. Uh, won't get into the beer and pretzels delineation. Well, that made it. That might be fun. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, um, I, I, that's probably where I would come from if I would want to. I guess conform to type.
0: Like for instance, in my OD&D campaign I'm running now. One of my characters is playing a cleric and she just really imagined that cleric using a club and I was like, well a club is light foot right that's like the worst kind of weapon you can have yeah. uh, you know if you use a mace or something you'd be better off and she said well, and she said, you know I, I, I see my character using a club but can I just use a bigger club ha love it <laughs> which is a very good question the player should so I just I made a large club as a weapon and made it fight as heavy foot so basically the same as a mace But she would have stuck with using the regular club if I had said no, because that's the character that she envisioned. And and, and I I totally respect that as a GM and a referee, and I try to always make that kind of stuff work for my players so that they have those options. Um, You know, these mechanical things that balance out the game can be cool for some people, and they really love that to maximize or or whatever, but other times people just want to play the character they want to play, and and I I try not to overly penalize people uh, for that.
1: I agree with that having played in some games where I had an idea for the character that didn't match what the ref had in mind and then having my character kind of shoehorned a little bit or nudged in a direction that I didn't think they would go I absolutely understand that and I respect where the players want to take their character and I try to do that too in games that's one of the cool things about chainmail to me is that degree of abstraction specifically the man to man I like the man-to-man because not every weapon is bad. Like there's no objectively bad weapon, it's just you're using it in the wrong scenario. But
0: that's another long tirade. Right? But in od and what we're learning so far, we're in Session 8, uh, the Cleric is by far the, the most powerful character. Uh, she's leveled the quickest and she's a really good fighter and with the heavy armor she's very, very well protected.
1: That's very cool to hear and will be very cool to hear, or watch, hopefully. You're still streaming the Chainmail stuff, I hope. But it will be fun to follow, because I will be curious as to how your uh, experience parallels my own. That said, it kind of lends itself towards more confusion as to why more munchkins wouldn't want to play a cleric. Uh, I guess it's just that whole uh, fedora type, I don't want to be beholden to a greater being. Uh, Or, then again... I know I'm, I'm coming off a little judgmental there. That's intended as a joke, but the, uh, I want to, it, it doesn't necessarily fit, uh, the whole, yeah, but we've already been over this. So, if anybody is wondering what I'm babbling about as to why I don't understand why people would not want to play a fun, powerful class like the Cleric, rewind a couple episodes and, uh, Man, it's been long enough that I'm apparently forgetting my own conversations. I need to listen to myself.
2: Hey Taylor, thank you for playing Minions Calls on Pendragon. Very interesting. I I still haven't even cracked the books, to be honest. <laughs> I I may just sell them, we'll see. I I don't know, I'm still not it, it sounds like it handles it in a respectful way, but it's not so much a respectful way as the idea that... How it's going to be played at the table. So it's, it doesn't really matter how well the game handles it. Is how well the, the group of the players... And even then, I mean, you're you're bringing re- your religion to me- into make-believe. So I don't know. I'm not... I'm not sold. Right? But it, it's like making films about fake saints. And, and making them... Putting them up there. Is that... You know, it's kind of weird. So... That said, I may use Pendragon. I know people have adapted Pendragon to run, like, Battletech games, you know, generational games, things like that. So I may keep it and use it to do something like that. We'll say. Great show. Keep up the great
1: I hear you on the uh, putting artificial saints into your world. Uh, I remember that can come up in other fiction, too. I remember seeing... The, this uh, this film, the Boondock Saints. I was really kind of confused. They'd behaved in uh, no way similar to folks like uh, Valentine or Saint Augustine. Anyway, the regarding the calls, absolutely. I'm, I feel privileged to have played them. Thank you, uh, Rob Minion, again for calling them in and helping us kind of walk through the system. Uh, and regarding that system, Jason, I. Th- I think you're to something. I agree with your assertion regarding the core mechanics. The virtues and vices system had gotten me really curious, not curious enough to buy it, but curious uh, regarding the religion as alignment kind of perspective. And I think that could very easily be adapted to elf religions for elf games. Uh, that is assigning virtuous or vice-like behavior according to Milu and not in accordance with history or active,
3: uh, active faiths.
1: Thank you, Jason, for calling in. Thank you for the encouragement regarding the podcast. And you got a little bit cut off at the end there, but I assume that last phrase was that I should keep up with the grapefruit. And I will keep on trying with my grapefruit tree. I am in zone nine, so it should work. But uh, I just, maybe there's something up with my irrigation system, sprinkler system this year. Um, uh, But I'm stuck with pomegranates and figs uh, for 2022. Uh, Better luck next year.
3: It's good to hear about Pendragon. I played it extensively in the about '90s time frame, early '90s, I would say, and we had a long-running campaign that extended actually from Uther all the way until Arthur, or the year that Arthur drew the the uh, sword in the stone, and then some inter-party rivalry happened. Um, the uh, rivalry between two brothers kind of came to a head in gameplay, and one brother had another brother. Well, one brother had his character plotted against his other brother to pull him down from power in the game. It's convoluted and weird, full of passive aggressiveness. But hey, Pendragon was really fun. I'm going like, to leave another call. Oh,
1: yeah, I think I remember that. Uh, there was a campaign uh, for other listeners. We had been going back and forth about, I think it was player agency or something. Uh, and I think it was Joe Richter of Hindsightless where I heard the most of this story. Uh, and Carl, please correct me if I speak out of turn. But as I remember it, there were a couple players and uh, one of them, uh, one of them had gotten into a position of, of authority, and then the other players conspired against him, uh, out of character, out of the table, and uh, betrayed him. So he came in uh, expecting a certain battle, and then his brothers turned against him. and uh, that was his character got killed. The progress that he had made in terms of his domain was in part erased, and I don't remember the ending of the story because the um, the conversation on Joe's podcast was about is that appropriate? Would we uh, is that appropriate player behavior uh, to, to when playing with friends? But anyway, the in my groups I've seen similar stuff like I've seen betrayals in parties before. Won't go into it in too much detail, but that definitely sounds like a if it were converted into a story, like a book, the, that is classic. That is absolutely classic uh, Arthurian story right there.
3: We had memorable lines where one of the player characters shouted out when Arthur was approaching the stone in the or the sword in the anvil in uh, London, uh, more like more like um, Mallory than Excalibur, and called out.
1: So long as they call him the
3: Wart, then I'm game. As um, Patrick Stewart did in that movie, let the boy try and everyone echoed let the boy try. So definitely memorable moments from it. Uh, Also the battle against Urians and that scene from Excalibur, but also translated into Pendragon. And I think I actually out there somewhere, if you can ever find the adventure, Ryan's the king, I wrote that for Pendragon but I think it was credited as anonymous uh not the uh hacker group but uh as me for like a fanzine for Pendragon so um yeah I really had a good time with it it's a good game more recently I played Paladin run by Arlen Walker and as they're gearing towards the 6th edition I have the 5.2 edition I have a lot of older edition stuff that Kind of has adventures in Wales, adventures in uh, present day Scotland, adventures in Ireland, adventures in Scandinavia, adventures all over. I've kept all those books. It's something that I've collected. And um, all the things that Rob said are reasons why one should play it. And I just haven't run it for a long time because it just takes, I guess, a special group. Um, because you got to buy in to wanting to do those virtues and play those passions. So I think um, um, it would be neat to run it again. And I don't know if I'd run it from the beginning, from Uther's time, run the whole um, great uh, Arthurian campaign, or just start in the middle.
1: Only time will tell, my man. But hey, maybe all of us will be playing in Jason's Elf Religion Battletech Pendragon version in the coming 2023, not to drop any pressure or anything. now that we've talked through a couple call-ins, thank you, callers. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Carl, for calling in. I really enjoy hearing from you. We heard from them first at the top of the show, shaking things up a little bit. I usually put the main topic up front, but hmm, now is a good time, I think, to move into the main topic. What am I going to talk about today? Well, I wanted to do an episode on gatekeeping, Hold up, hold up, hold up. Stop the presses because I have something I need to talk about. House rules and why I both use and encourage their use. So, first and foremost, why house rule? Back in the day when we were learning to play the game, We were at the behest of whatever the comic shop owner or the local bookstore had on the shelf, and for a lot of us that was a fairly limited supply. But these days, itch, drive-through, other platforms, there's a wealth of self-published print-on-demand or PDF games. You can find whatever you want. Why change a game you know to be something it's not when there is something it can be out there? I'll tell you why. And I've got three good reasons. Time, money, and love. First, to talk about time, I have three children. They are three years old or younger. And I realize I did that to myself. I had a little help from my wife. But there are other people who are in the same situation other people who have jobs during the day, other people who have children to take care of at night, and we just don't have the time. One, because there is such a wealth of games, and don't get me wrong, there is a wealth of really fun games, but so many come out, and there there are game jams, there are supplement jams, and there is so much material, I just don't have time to sift through All the stuff I want to do. So, I want to play a Conan-esque sword and sorcery game. But, Taylor, Dungeons & Dragons doesn't match sword and sorcery because... I screwed up the voice on that, but I'm just going to keep running with it. Because it's a party game where most sword and sorcery stories have a main protagonist, one or two of them. Well, most sword and sorcery stories have a mid-level protagonist. So, you're not level one when you're rolling into the Tower of the Elephant. Conan was young, but who knows, maybe he was the re-roll, because in the Tower of the Elephant, he had the very experienced thief hang out with him, and uh, I'm going off topic. So, I wanna play Sword and Sandals. I'm gonna look for a specialist game to do it, other than BX. I could play Barbarians of Lemuria. It's designed to emulate a Conan-esque story, but Barbarians of Lemuria, the stats don't line up. Yes, it fits the genre, but now I have to rewrite the 50 DSR compatible adventures that I have on my hard drive or on my shelf. Okay, then let's try Hyperborea. Hyperborea does work with my TSR adventures, and Hyperborea has a great sword and sorcery vibe to it. But. It's human only, and one of my uh, one of my friends likes to play elves. What do I do there? Do I have to invent the elf? No, I have to look for a new game. Do I look into 2D20 Conan? Do I look into Blood and Bronze? So far, with my very limited knowledge of independently or small publisher games, I've got four sword and sandals options. That's four books I have to buy, four books I have to read, and uh, I, ideally, four sessions that I get to play, uh, or mini sessions, with someone who knows the game so I can get a feel for the game. Maybe that's four actual plays that I have to watch in order to get a handle on how the system works or rolls. Not to speak to the dollar amount, but the time. I don't have time to read four rule books, to watch four actual plays or play four sessions, in order to figure out if a system is right for me. And at this point, I'm not even sure any of those systems work. What I can do is substitute full plate, or plate armor for scale mail, substitute chain mail for, well, loincloths, what do barbarians wear, and then make your shield work a little bit more effectively, boom, I've reskinned BX, the mechanical compatibility is still there, the theme and the tone I'm going for is still there, and is it a little hand-fisted? Yes. I usually put more thought into my house rules than that, but the point is, I know the system well enough that I can slap what I want on top of it without breaking anything, or without breaking anything too much. When I was younger, this wasn't a big thing. I will admit that. I played a lot of Uh, a much more diverse portfolio of games before I had kids, before I was married, but in that I intend to stay married, and I intend to continue having children, It's it's the sort of sacrifice I have to make. I can either tweak what I know will work, or I can go no games for protracted periods of time while I try to find the time to find something new. Second point, money. So I've already kind of touched on having to buy multiple books or PDFs to try to figure out what system is right for me. That may be a little exaggeration because you can borrow a book from a friend, you can play a session without the core rule book. I was able to play in a LFG, low fantasy gaming uh, campaign without having purchased the book, uh, which was a very courteous thank you Steve for uh, your generosity in that regard, uh, helping helping me and a couple other players get into the game. But I will harken back to introducing Dungeon Crawl Classics to a handful of coworkers, uh, some of whom were old school guys who had been playing since Holmes. DCC is pretty accessible. It has one rule book. Uh, I picked up a copy. My players did not have to pick up a copy, but it has uh, fancy dice. So a couple players downloaded the app. Uh, anyone playing DCC, you you have not lived until you have used the Crawler app. It is so helpful for that game to play. But they downloaded the app, and a couple players bought dice. I know I bought a couple sets of dice in order to get into it. Um, we played in person, and I like battle mats, so I have some miniatures that I play with. Again, optional. But uh, the point is, my players wanted to get... PDFs. My players wanted to get dice. My players wanted to get into the game. And getting into DCC represented an investment for them in excess of what getting them into, say, old school essentials would have been. And with other games, there are constantly new additions, new games, new mechanics, new specialized dice, new supplements to play that you can get into you want to get into sometimes you have to get into in order to follow the game but if i'm playing out of my 40 year old bx copy how many times did i have to buy bx once maybe maybe i didn't even buy it maybe my mom did who knows my mom did not buy me bx i had to figure that one out myself like last year but to conclude there's a financial component to keeping up with the times. There's a financial component to exposing yourself to a lot, a lot of games so that you have the ability to get into those, those kind of games to understand which one serves the purpose you needed to serve. Again, I have three children and a spouse. The I'll let you guess which one of those is the expensive one. Surprise, all of them. but. <laughs> So I'm teasing a little bit there, but I know that the, I, I'm very blessed in that I have a home that I own. We have two vehicles, and we, we are able to put some money away to cover some of the expenses that the boys are going to incur as they get older, and I'm absurdly, absurdly appreciative of that. So with that in mind, knowing how blessed we are and how lean my discretionary budget is... I can't, uh, I can't prescribe to folks who are less blessed or folks who are going through a tougher time than we are to uh, keep up with the Joneses. Part three. I know I said this was gonna be love, but consider this some bonus content because instead I'm going to talk about how much do you actually want to change? So I guess this is segment two and a half. For the past couple years, I've been talking a lot about chain mail trying to build that into my, my home game. And part of the reason I do that is because I'm a wargamer at heart, and it's a slick, it's hard to read, but it's very slick and plays quickly. But two, I like a couple key elements of Chainmail that I guess don't appeal to me about D&D or its derivatives. One thing to take from it, I love the man-to-man combat table. I love that the choice of weapon matters based on the type of opponent you're seeking, so that's an encouragement for fighters to bring multiple different weapons to attack multiple different scenarios. Aha! You can play first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons. There's a weapon uh, a weapon adjustment by armor class. And there is, and I like that, but AD&D also comes with some other things that weren't in O D D or might have been in one of the supplements that I haven't read, but aren't in the little, bla- little Brown Books, it comes with added stuff that I don't want. So, for example, I'm not a big fan of hit points. Hit points make sense. Hit points serve a purpose, but I just like concurrent hits. I like that my hero has to be hit four times in order to go down because not that he's getting tired, not that he's taking smaller wounds, it's just he's that heroic. It's That's the, a better representation, from my perspective, of uh, how to represent getting better at defending yourself than getting the added hit points. Further, something I've talked about, uh, I like classless games. I like the idea that I can be a thief- like character that's good at fighting, Uh, and I I like the idea that I can be a fighting character who happens to have been a sorcerer's apprentice at one point, and I like like having a system that allows me to put that together without having to come up with a whole new class. I could play RuneQuest, but RuneQuest is a little tied to the Glorantha kind of setting, as I understand it. Uh, There's a lot of history there. There's fractional hit points on hit locations and that's a little bit more that's a little bit more cruft than I'm willing to take on see my other point, time well, you could grab BRP that's essentially the core mechanic and without all the cruft someone's taking it out for you I could do that Uh, I don't know if BRP is free or not so I won't dive into that piece but what I do know BRP is a percentile system. There's nothing wrong with percentile systems. I've played percentile systems before. However, the percentile system means that I cannot run the 50-odd modules that I have in PDF or in uh, print form on my shelf that I mentioned earlier as an argument against Barbarians of Lemuria. So while there is... Possibly a system out there that does what you want, and it's usually pretty easy to find a system that approximates What you want You have to be mindful that those systems are designed with certain player Experiences in mind and those player experiences are going to be influenced or reinforced by the rules Changes or the rules differences that are present above and outside the mechanical or tonal elements that attract you to those peripheral games. In conclusion to point two and a half, if I love everything about BX except that I think dwarves should be clerics, wouldn't it just be easier to let a dwarf be a cleric? So, last point of the day, love. I really like game design. Why is it that so many house rules documents, so many new games and good games come out with such a rapidity, this wide proliferation of systems and supplements? It's because game design is fun. House ruling is fun. And I, like I mentioned before, we're we're ruling over games that we've played a lot so it's the balancing aspect is there but you don't really have to worry about it as much if you have the system in mind down pat but even so based on play experiences making your own game is fun i personally really enjoy the math when i was working on weapons wits and wizardry i'm heavily debating changing around the two hit numbers for the man-to-man piece because I don't like it. I think it's I think it doesn't give enough credit for shields in in a lot of ways So I worked out the probabilities of what it takes to hit and looking at the different dice pools and the target numbers You get I worked out the likelihood of different unit types being able to hit other unit types and trying to figure out, okay, how is the best way to affect smooth play while still affecting the game in a positive manner and producing the experience that I want to produce. Once you've got an idea in mind of what you want to do, it's a lot of fun to do it. So I am not as close as I thought I was. Apparently one of the boys fell in the pool, so I get to stop at Walmart on my way over and pick up a new sweater for him that's drier than the one he wore. That gives me a little bit of extra time to conclude for you. And what I'd like to leave you with is this. Whatever changes you make, let those changes be informed by play experience. In case my tone had failed to convey, please do not take this podcast or what was said within it to be dunking on rules as written. Games are written with a goal in mind and they are tested with a play experience in mind. For that reason, I encourage anybody who's getting into the hobby, play the game by the book a few times first so that you understand what you're getting into. The argument that gets levied a lot of the time is the whole Chesterton's Fence. Uh, Don't remove something if you don't know why it's there. You may release the bull onto the town. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to summarize that for you, because instead I'm going to come at you with a positive vibe. Play the game a handful of times the way it was designed to be played. Then, once you've got it under control, and you've identified something else that you would like to experience, something missing from the table as your party plays it, then add that in. Then cut that out and replace it. Everybody has got a little bit of false OSR enthusiast in them. At the end of the day, it's a threshold that you have to set for yourself. So play the game, understand the game, and then think about changing the game. Harkening back a little bit to my, how much do you want to change? The more experience you have with some systems, the more you may identify with the way they present the world. And that, that just about wraps up what I wanted to say as I pull into this Walmart parking lot. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, callers, again, uh, Daniel, Jason, and Carl, for calling in. And for everyone listening, everyone calling, and everyone else who won't hear me say it, delve on. Clear Square Mail Podcast is an independently owned and operated product, released for educational and informative purposes under the totally steal this license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- <coughs> licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clear Swearing Mail Podcast is Cold Coffee by Michael Romier C. Retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit Royalty Free Music License. Sound effects used in the Clear swearing Mail Podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the mixkit Free Sound effects license. Clear swearing mail does not ascribe to nor endorse user opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clear swearing mail Podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to clear, swear, email at the prescribed methods provided on the clerics where email blog parties dissatisfied with these terms conditions or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg